Smiling faces, happy to be in the house of God? Are you happy to be in the house of God? Amen. All right. Well, with Thanksgiving behind us, that can only mean one thing. That means that Christmas is on the way. So I want to begin to turn our attention to the birth of Christ. And I want to get started by looking at a message that I'm calling Before Christ, B.C., the story before the birth. The story before the birth. I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon like this, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it together. Are you ready? All right. Would you please turn in your Bibles or your smart devices to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Are you ready? On your mark. It's, all right. Here we go. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. That's Bathsheba. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Azah. And Azah, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. That would be the exile. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconia was the father of Shilatil, and Shilatil was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud, and Abiud was the father of Elakim, and Elakim was the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok. And Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan. And Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation of Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Now, do you think we can get a message out of the genealogy of Christ? Absolutely we can. It's the Word of God. The Word of God is full of things that it wants us to learn, but we have to look into it a little bit more than what meets the eye. Because I read the Bible, and I know you read the Bible too. And I know what we do when it comes to genealogies, right? (laughs) It took me a while. I had to practice those names, right? 
I know what happens. We end up skipping them. So we're getting caught up today. We're going to look at it. You know, any time that, that you uh, meet with someone or you begin to look at uh, Scripture seriously, one of the questions that will come up is, why are there four different Gospels that seem to have four different styles, four different interpretations of Jesus, four different angles on what's going on? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. The, the answer to that is that with each Gospel the author was addressing a different audience. So with the Gospel of Luke, Luke was writing primarily to a Gentile crowd. We know this because Luke takes the extra steps of explaining some of the Jewish customs. He explains some of the festivals. He explains these things. Matthew is writing primarily to a a Jewish community. He's writing primarily to authenticate that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one that they have been waiting for. Can I teach you for a little bit? So the way that the book of Matthew is written, it's very much written in a way that reflects Jesus, and it links Jesus to Moses. As Moses was the great prophet and the great lawgiver, of the Old Testament, who led the children of Israel out of slavery and into the promised land, Matthew likens Jesus to the new lawgiver, the new covenant giver, who is leading us all out of slavery of sin and into the fullness of His promises for us. The book of Matthew is actually broken up into five sections. These five sections are kind of divided by five speeches that Jesus gives. The Sermon on the Mount. He gives a teaching about missionary work. He gives a teaching including all of the parables. He teaches about the church. And he also has a teaching about the end times. Five sections that he breaks up Matthew in. Now to the Jewish mind, this would be important because they would see that as another five that they can see in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is actually broken up into five sections. Why is that important? Because in the Jewish mind, they are immediately going to identify five as having to do with the first five books of the Bible that were written by Moses. The Pentateuch. Are we still here? Are we getting in the weeds too much? This is good. So... Just as Moses gave the law in the first five books of the Bible, Matthew is showing us that Jesus is bringing a new covenant into the New Testament, into our lives. Now, another indication that we see the audience that the people are writing to has to do with the genealogies. Now, the Gospel of John, the genealogy that's given is really, it's, um, it's more of a theological declaration In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke, of course, is speaking to the Gentiles, so he takes the genealogy all the way back to Adam, the very first man. But Matthew, of course, he is talking to a Jewish crowd, so he takes the genealogy back to Abraham, the first Jew, 
everyone is looking at me like, wow, we didn't know we were going to go to a TED Talk today. <laughs> now, I'm saying all this because we don't want to skip over the genealogies. Now, here's what's important. Oh, and let me also mention this. The Gospel of Mark, there is no genealogy. It starts out with Jesus full grown, going right into some miracles. So sometimes we just skip over these, but for the Jewish community, it was very important because your genealogy determined what you could do in life. Whatever you wanted to be, it was really decided. It had to be founded in your ancestry. So if you said, I want to be a priest, they would have to look and see your genealogy that it would go back to the tribe of Levi, right? The Levites. And if you wanted to be a king, they would have to look and see that your genealogy went back to David. So whenever Matthew starts by saying this is the son of Abraham and the son of David, he is saying that he is Jewish and that he is in line to be the next king and the Messiah. Because the Messiah was prophesied to come through the line of David. So whenever he comes out and says, hey, this is Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham and the son of David, he is making a very important point. He's proving, he's saying, look, this is Jesus Christ. This is the one that we've been waiting for. This isn't just someone that just showed up. In fact, we can't discuss who he is without discussing what's come before him. Are you still here? All right, I'll give you one more thing, and then we'll get into some preaching. Because I can see you're uncomfortable. Like, what is going on? He's really going to talk about the genealogies. He's not going to, he's really doing it. In Jewish tradition, I'll give you one more from Jewish traditions. Jewish traditions would often, they would, they would cluster the genealogies in groups of seven. Right? Because seven is a number of completion. So that was important. So Matthew, of course... He does this. He says, from Abraham to David is 14 generations. From David to the exile is 14 generations. From the exile to Jesus is 14 generations. 42 generations, right? And that, of course, is all divisible by seven. So everyone is happy. <laughs> but there's a problem. There's a couple of problems with this genealogy. I'll give you just, a, here's one right off the bat. If we look at Matthew's genealogy, it has 42 people, right, that lead up to Jesus. But whenever we look in the Old Testament and we look at the same genealogy, that same line that would lead to Jesus, there's more people in it. There's about 50. So the Old Testament, we have 50. The New Testament, we have 42. That's not that strange. That just means that Matthew chose to leave some people out. You might do the same thing if someone asked you to tell us about your family tree. You might leave some people out of it too. This is actually okay. It's actually normal because for the gospel writers, it was more important to be accurate than it was to be complete. Does that make sense? It was more important to be accurate than it was to be complete. It wasn't just about listing everyone. It was about listing specific people, specific heroes and highlights of the faith that would link Jesus to wonderful people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. And then we got another problem. The problem isn't who he left out. 
The problem is who he left in. Matthew puts in here five women. Now, this is already strange. If you go back and look at the first genealogy ever, I did my homework. If you go back and look at the first genealogy ever in Genesis chapter 5, there's no women mentioned at all. But here we see women being mentioned, which I think is important, that you can't know the whole story of Jesus without knowing that there were women involved in seeing it come to pass. This is where we all say, yay. Yay. Now, I'm all for, I'm, I'm very glad that there's women in the genealogy, but why did he pick these women? Because he leaves in these five young ladies, Tamar, um, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Now, these are people who don't have any pedigree. They have no notoriety. They don't even have good reputations. Now, keep in mind, Matthew has left out some people, some unrighteous brothers. He's left out some evil kings. He's left out some people. But he's included Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Okay, it's about to get PG-13. The story of Tamar. Tamar is widowed twice. She's promised that she would have a son through Judah. Judah backs out of the deal. He says, I'm not going to give you a son. So Tamar dresses up like a prostitute and tricks him into fulfilling the promise. That's Tamar. She made it into the genealogy. Who's Rahab? Rahab owned a brothel in Jericho. Whenever the spies came, spy out the land, she hid them. And whenever the walls of Jericho came down, her house was spared. That's Rahab. She made it into the genealogy. Ruth. Ruth is not even Jewish. She was a Moabite. Here she is. She's a Moabite. She's an outsider. And yet we see that she meets and marries Boaz, and she becomes the grandmother of King David. Then we meet Bathsheba, who was involved in a, a scandal, a scandal with David. Also, not only, not only an adulterous scandal, but also conspiracy to commit murder of her husband Uriah. She made it into the genealogy. And lastly, there's Mary, who was an unwed teen, who was found with child and was telling everyone that an angel appeared to her and asked her to carry our Savior. This, the, these five, this group of misfits, are included in the genealogy. And I think that there's a message here. I think that there's a message before Christ, that there's a message before the birth. We can get something from this. I think we can get three things from it. Do you think we can do it? Yes. Are you scratching your head? Here's the first thing that we can get. This is the first part of the, the, the message before the birth. Number one, God can use anybody. God can use anybody. It doesn't matter what people think about you. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter what people know about you. God is so gracious 
that he has a way of picking folks that other people have ignored and other people have written off and said, no, it's impossible, it's not going to happen. God is so gracious that he will qualify those that are unqualified. He qualifies those people who don't seem to have any kind of reason of being in the story of Jesus. God can use anybody. God qualifies the unqualified to be used by his grace for his glory. Amen? Now, until you understand that, you're not going to be happy in church. Until you understand that God is using imperfect people, you're not going to be happy in church. Because, see, when you come to church, you're wanting to hear the word of God. But the enemy, the devil, he is trying to distract you. He wants you to feel like everyone who's talking and sharing the word, that they're disqualified because of who they are. So here we have the message that's coming out, but we're getting caught up with the messenger. It, 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 it can look like this. Someone's singing a solo, and you know something about that person. So now I'm not going to hear it anymore. You know what? I know this, but I'm not going to worship right now. I know about this. Or how about it, it, in our go groups, someone's praying, and we go, you know what? I know about this person. I think I know about this. Or even me. He said, we know about Jason. We think we, I don't want to hear what he has to say. And just like that, you let the enemy win. He disqualifies. You say, well, God can't use them. Absolutely not. It's a trick of the enemy. The truth is God uses imperfect people to play in the band. God uses imperfect people to sing. God uses imperfect people to bring powerful prayers in the go group. And God uses an imperfect preacher to preach the word from the pulpit. It's all imperfect. It's only by the glory and by the grace of God that it's possible. God can use anybody. Amen. Now, here's the other side of the coin. Maybe you're not disqualifying someone else, but maybe you feel disqualified. You say, well, God can't use me. I mean, he can use other people, but he can't use me. That's a trick of the enemy. Don't fall for that. And don't, don't, don't fall for that. Now, the way that that gets expressed is not simply by being insecure, feeling disqualified. So then I'm not going to talk. I'm going to be quiet. I'm just going to come in church and go. That's not always what it looks like. Sometimes that insecurity and that disqualified spirit can react by trying to control other people and criticize other people. Try to get other people to do it. Th- hey, do it this way. Don't do it like that. Don't do it like this. And I'm not just talking about church. We see this in home life. We see this in what places where we work. We have to be very aware that that prideful, that forceful attitude is really a sign of an insecurity. It's a sign that this person is unaware that God has qualified them. So relax. Are we still here? Are we learning anything? Do you know why God uses flawed people? I'm glad you asked. Because that's all he has to choose from. The Bible says in Romans 3.23... For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep 
have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him, that would be the coming Savior, the iniquity of us all. God uses imperfect people. God wants to partner with imperfect people, but you just have to yield to his hand. Because anyone that God puts his hand on, whatever imperfection there might be in your life, when God puts his hand on you, everything can change. Everything will change. But you have to just yield to the Lord and say, God, whatever you want to do is what I want to do. Are we still here? God uses imperfect people. Praise God. Let's go a little bit further. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It's talking about you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, we are God's masterpiece. Say masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. God has things that He's planned for us to do. We need that can-do attitude. You realize that you are special. You are one of a kind. There is no one else like you that has ever existed or will exist. You are unique all the way down to your DNA. God has made you with a plan and a purpose, and it's to do something good, some good works that he has planned for you. But if we've got in our minds something else, we'll get derailed. If we're listening to critics and listening to people say, oh, well, you're, you're never going to be anything and you're never going to be successful. If you listen to that, you will go down the road of defeat instead of moving into what God has called you to do. So maybe you've made mistakes in your life. Maybe you've fallen, you've, you've messed up. Good news. Those mistakes don't change your DNA. Those mistakes don't change God's created value for you. Those mistakes don't change the destiny that God has for you. If we turn from our sin and we move back to Him, He will make all things new. People might say it's impossible. People might say you've got no destiny. But they don't decide your destiny. God does. People might say that I'm not capable. You can't do it, Jason. Well, you know what God says? God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah. Amen? People might say, Jason, you're never going to change. Well, the Word of God says that if I wait upon the Lord, that I will mount up with wings like eagles, that I will run and not grow weary, I will walk and not faint. Jesus can change any situation. Yeah. Are we still here? Yeah. Okay. When it comes to feeling down and feeling bad about yourself, let me give you a quote for that. Jason, I feel down. I feel bad about myself. People have rejected me. Well, remember that God accepts you. He loves you and he approves you. This is a good quote. Take a moment and write this one down. No one can make you feel inferior without your permission. I don't know who said this first. I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt. So we're giving a lot of love to, to the ladies today. This is Eleanor Roosevelt, I think, who said this. No one can make you feel inferior without your permission. 
You know, no one can make you feel, catch this one here, we're going to expand upon it. No one can make you feel offended without your permission. You don't, no, no, I don't think you got it. See, because you don't understand, Jason, when someone offends me, they've done something wrong to me, and I'm offended. They've done something wrong to me. It's not nothing I can control about it. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You choose whether or not you're going to be offended. We see that in the life of Jesus. I mean, here he is. He's come to take away the sins of the world, to take away the sins of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are saying, oh, you're, you're from Beelzebub. You're doing these miracles because of Satan. I mean, you think that would be offensive, right? Jesus keeps on moving. He doesn't have a pity party. Are we still here? God can use anybody. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. It says, God is not a man that he should lie. He is not a human that he should change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? If God has spoken over your life, whatever he said is what is going to come to pass. See, if I tell you that this is, that this is a white coat, well, I'm, I'm lying because it's not white, right? But if God says this is a white coat, then that means it's going to start changing to white because God's not a liar. Whatever he said is going to come to pass. I might not see it right away, but the, but the transformation has already begun and it's already taking place. God has spoken things about you over your life, over your family's life. And we can get real caught up in mistakes we've made in the past and real caught up in attitudes we've had this week or last week. We can get real caught up on any of these things and lose sight of the fact that God is still wanting to move forward with us, move through us, bring things to us. Are we still here? God can use anyone. Number two, God can work through anything. God can work through anything. God can work through anything. No matter how ugly, no matter how messed up, no matter how traumatic or dramatic the story might be, God is greater, He is higher, He is stronger, He is omnipotent. He can work all things around together for good. See, if something's good and you work it around for good, it's not that great. But the thing about God, Jehovah, is that He can take something bad, something that was intended to harm you, something that was meant for evil, and He can turn that around for something good. That is how great our God is. When you go through the genealogy, we see a lot of crazy things. We see sexual scandal. We see conspiracy to commit murder. We see deliberate disobedience. We see uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. We see 70 years in exile. Just go over that one more time. Through the genealogy of Jesus, leading up 
to Jesus. We see sexual scandal, conspiracy to commit murder, deliberate disobedience, destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, and 70 years in exile. And after all of that, God still said, I'm going to send my son who's going to come and be the sacrificial lamb for all of humanity. No, okay, okay. I need to find a church. Well, come on, y'all. After everything that they went through, God still said, I love you, and my grace is sufficient for you. Praise you, Jesus. Well, I was excited about the genealogy. No matter what is going on in your life, God can work it around for good. He works through those things that we're not proud of. He works through those things that we wish that we had not done, that we should not done, that we should not have said. God can work it around for good because He is good. Amen. Amen. Don't Don't disqualify others of having God work through them. And also don't let the devil convince you that you are disqualified from being used by God. God can and will change any situation. You believe that? Here's the thing. God will change any situation, but it starts by Him changing you. See, we want God to take control over every situation. God, take control of this situation. It starts by letting Him take control of you. We we, want to see the gospel change the world, right? It starts by letting the gospel change us individually. See, this is the message before Christ. This is the message before the birth. The message before the birth is God can use anyone and God can work through anything. No matter how difficult the situation may be, God has a plan and a purpose. I got more scripture for you. Psalm 139, verse 13. Are we learning anything? Is it okay? Psalm 139, uh, 13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. This is the truth about you. Don't listen to people and don't listen to yourself. Say, I'm slow, I'm stupid, I'm never going to get it. I'm never going to get a breakthrough. I'm always going to be in debt. I'm never going to get my break. Don't say those kinds of things to yourself. Say what the Word of God has to say about you. There is nowhere in the Bible that says you're never going to get a break and that you're always going to be in debt and that you're never going to get healed and that you're never going to have a breakthrough. That's not what the Word of God says. Okay, I heard a story. And I've seen this to be true. I've seen people uh, with tattoos. The tattoo said, born to lose. Okay, (laughs) I'm not joking. Okay, so I've seen that and I've not questioned it. I'm like, all right, that's your life. But I did hear a story about about, um, a person who, this is the story. They went into the tattoo shop and they saw that, born to lose, which I can verify it exists. And they said, do people actually get this tattooed on them? And the tattoo artist said, yes. He said, before they ever get it tattooed on their skin, they get it tattooed in their mind. Oh, wait, listen to it. Listen to it. Before they ever get 
Born to lose. <laughs> woo <-hoo. laughs> Before they ever get... <laughs> she's running it. She's going to run out of gas. That's awesome. Intercepted. Before they ever get born to lose, tattooed on their skin, they have it in their mind. It's a thinking. It's a thought process. That's where it starts and then it manifests in their life. What do you have tattooed on your mind? Does it say rejected, unsuccessful, unhappy, um, never going to be enough, never going to be okay? What, what, what is in your thoughts? What is on your mind? If you're thinking that you're defeated and it's never going to get better, it's not. Now, for someone today who has this tattoo, they could get it removed with the laser, right? They have the laser tattoo. It's like a laser tattoo removal. But how do you remove those thoughts that are in your mind? <laughs> I have something um, uh, not as lethal. Take a look. Yes. Take a look at this. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is full of living power. Say living power. It is sharper than the sharpest knife. Cutting into our innermost thoughts. Say innermost thoughts. And desires. It exposes us for what we really are. Let's read it in the message also. Hebrews 4.12. God means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is sharper than a surgeon's scalpel cutting through everything. We've got we've to replace those kinds of, it's never going to happen, I'm never going to get a breakthrough, and replace that with, man, the favor of God is upon my life. Don't say I'm never going to get healed. Say I am healed, whole, and healthy in Jesus' name. Healing is the bread of the children. Don't say I'm always going to be in debt and never have enough. Say what the Bible says about you, that you're the head and not the tail, that you're above and not beneath, that you're blessed going in, you're blessed going out. Praise be to God who always causes us to triumph. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 29. Interesting moment. These two blind men approach Jesus. They want to receive a healing. And look what it says. Matthew 9, 29. It says, Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. In other words, I have touched you, but you must believe that you can see. See, I believe that God, whenever we receive Christ, that God has touched our lives. You must believe that you're something special. Take a look. We have another quote here. Once Jesus touches you, what you believe about you sets the limits of your life. Jesus touched those blind men. He says, hey, you, what, what, he says, Touch their eyes. I want to get it right. And he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. See, if, if you need God to, have a, to, to touch your finances, if you need God to change your life, and we come down to the altar, and we receive a breakthrough, and we have, we have a Holy Ghost moment, but then we leave thinking the same way we thought before we came in, nothing will change. Does that make sense? Once Jesus touches you, Everything can change. But what you believe about yourself will set the limits for your life. 
I think it's Proverbs 23.7, King James Version. It says, as a man thinketh, so is he. What we think about ourselves is so very important. Because God thinks an awful lot about you. He thinks about you so much that he sent his son to die for you. God came and wrapped himself in human flesh and lived among us for 33 years. Lived a sinless life and was crucified. Died a horrible death. Why? Because he saw the value that's in you. He saw what you look like with him inside of you. He saw what you look like in the fullness of potential that he designed for you. Are we still here? I just love it. Okay. Let's land the plane. Point number three. Not only can God use anybody. This is the message before the birth. God can use anybody. God can work through any situation. Good, bad, and ugly. And God can save any story. God can redeem any story. He can save any story. God can turn any life story around. He can change the whole situation. He can bring victory into a life that's full of defeat. He can bring value into a life that feels worthless and hope to those that feel hopeless. Our God can change any situation. You know, with the genealogy... It starts out pretty promising, right? Do you remember the, a whole 20 minutes ago whenever we read it? Whenever we read the genealogy, it starts out so strong. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then it just starts to go downhill. And then we get to go, oh, David. And then it goes, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it starts to go downhill. We, we see some unholy moments, some, some shameful moments. Really, I think whenever you look at verse 1 through 17, for many of us, it might look like a mirror. The genealogy might look like a mirror. Some of us have had those Abraham kind of moments where we've taken a step of faith, where God has spoken. He said, I want you to move in this direction, and we began to move in that direction. And maybe we've been like Isaac, We've had that time where we sowed, even in the famine, and we reaped a hundredfold. Maybe we've been like Jacob, and we've wrestled with God, and we've come out of it a different person with a new name. But maybe we also have those areas of our lives that have kind of fallen through the cracks and, and we've let fall apart. Those areas of our life that have brought compromise. Maybe we've felt like we've been in exile from our family, in exile from the body of Christ, in exile from the Lord. Those feelings are not from God. The feeling of exile, man, God wants to be close to you. He wants you to return to Him. He's ready and willing. You remember the prodigal son? As soon as the son started to head back, the father ran and embraced him, said, welcome home. Maybe you've been named among some of the foolish. Maybe you've been named uh, among some of the ungodly. But the good news is, at the end of this genealogy, there's another name. It's a name that causes every knee to bow. It's a name 
that causes demons to flee. It's the name that causes the lame to walk and the blind to see. It's the name that brings increase. It's the name that can change everything. It's the name of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. After the name of Jesus Christ shows up in your life, you'll notice that there's no names after that. Because everything changes. Woo! Praise God. It's so important. It's so important that we look at the Word of God and we always squeeze it and say, God, what is in this? Because I know you've got something that you're trying to tell me in this, God. I don't know what exactly your situation is, but I know that whenever we come to church, we won't want to leave the same way that we came in. That we want to leave uh, fuller, walking taller, feeling, feeling the presence of God upon us, having new truth. It's that truth that you know that will set you free. Having a change in your life. And I believe that that can come as soon as we confess our sins, as soon as we come to God humbly, that a change can come into our life. It's nothing that we do. It's simply the grace of God. As we look and we see all of the trouble that everyone was going through, and then suddenly Jesus appears. Okay. Now, nobody stopped me while I was preaching. But you could have. Because at first glance, it appears that Matthew is having trouble counting. Take a look at the... Uh, uh, let, let's go ahead and show the picture of all of the names in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, he said that there was, from Abraham to David, there was 14... Solomon to, to the exile, Jaconia, that, that's 14. And then from the exile to Jesus, supposed to be 14. What do we have here? We're supposed to have 42 generations, but we only have 41. What's the other generation? I'm glad you asked. The answer is right here in Psalms. Take a look at Psalms 22, verse 30 and 31. And here's the short version. You're right. Verse 30. A seed shall serve him, and it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he has done this. See, whenever Christ came, he said... Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bear much fruit. Jesus died. He rises again. Now, who, what, 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 what are we? We are the fruit. But we also have, you know what's inside of fruit? Is seed. So here we're seeing this cycle continue. Now, the fact that you and I, as we serve Christ, and as we share the gospel, and as we serve Him, we are becoming that seed. That you and I are actually counted among those in the generations. You are there in the genealogy of Christ. Because Christ is called the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn, the first fruits. The firstborn of many brothers and sisters. He's the firstborn, you and I. 
We are that generation that is coming forth that continues to do seed time and harvest, not just with finances, but with spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's you and I. We are that generation who continues. Oh, everything changes when Jesus Christ comes into the picture. And Jesus cared so much. God cared so much. He says, as, as, if you want to hear the story that led up to the birth of Jesus, I have to include all of this craziness so you can see how gracious I really am. And then I'm going to include Jesus, and then I'm going to leave a spot right there for the generation that will serve him. A seed shall serve him and will be accounted to the Lord as a generation. Praise God. Would you please stand with me? Praise God. We serve a great and mighty God. He is our provider. He's our healer. He's the author of life. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He does all things well. Every good and perfect gift that we have, it comes from Him. Praise you, Jesus. I don't know what, what's been going on in your life or where you're at exactly, but I do know this. I know that God can use anyone. And maybe that's for you personally that you think, well, I haven't really been feeling like God's been using me. Well, God can use you. He can use anyone. And maybe you've written off somebody else. So God can't use them. They've done too much crazy stuff. They bother me. Don't write them off because God can use them too. God can use anyone. And maybe your situation is difficult. Maybe you're in the middle of a situation that, man, you've been wanting it to change for so long. You've been believing for it to change for so long. God, change this attitude that I'm having. God, bring this healing. God, bring some provision. You've been believing for this change. God, heal my heart. You've been believing for this for so long. And you're thinking, you know what? Maybe this is just who I am and this is just how I am and how I'm going to be for the rest of my life. I would tell you that that's not true. The Word of God says God can use any situation. He can work through any situation. He is greater, stronger, and higher than any other. I want to pray for you right now. No, there's no story that he cannot save. Just lift your hands all over the room. I just want to speak a blessing over you.